Thank you, David. You're, uh, you're such a good warm-up act. You really are. It's just, uh, it's a gifting. It's one of the lesser-known gifts in the Bible that the Holy Spirit gives, the gift of warm-up comedian act. Actually, I do remember we were... Uh, driving to the, the south of France. So uh, we love going to, uh, to France when we can, and we do the overnight thing. Uh, I drive overnight, and the rest of the family sleep in the car. I've got loads of photos, which I'm really happy to show you, of Nikki and the girls in our car. <sighs> like that, you know. And every go and again, I just sort of wake them up with a, is it left or right, darling? And, ah! I remember we were going though, I was being kept by a, up, awake by a Radio 4 programme, which was uh, Jesus the Comedian. There you go. It was in the middle of the night, Radio 4, long wave uh, on Jesus the Comedian. So it's, it, is a, it is a bona fide gift. Well, I'll add my welcome to, to David's if you're here, if you're visiting us. Great to have you joining us on, on this journey and uh, and be lovely to get to know you if you decided you felt God was saying to you that this is your spiritual home. This is a place where, where you can grow. Um, talking of holidays, uh, uh, as a child, uh, my parents, beautiful, lovely parents, they're probably going to watch this afterwards, so I think you're great, mum and dad. Um, and uh, when we were kids, my brother and I, so two boys, um, well known for our passive approach to, to life. Uh, the fact that my brother has two false front teeth is, uh, is no accident. Well, they both were accidents, but they were kind of intentional accidents. You know, we were playing that tying each other up game. You ever played that? No, that's a different talk, isn't it? Yeah. So we were playing a game where we were trying out ropes and prisoners. It was the world's best game. And I said to my brother, I said, Philip, don't try and stand up. But he did. So clearly it was his fault, wasn't it? When he landed on the hearth of the fireplace and chipped one tooth. Yeah, there you go. Anyway. We were known for our passivity. And my, my parents would take us on lovely holidays all over the UK. Only in the UK, but all over the UK. As a, an eight-year-old, a nine-year-old, a ten-year-old, I have been everywhere it's lovely to be in, in the UK. Yes, I have sat in the back of a car with my dad going, look, there's a mountain. Ah, and there's another one. Ah, and there's another one. Ah. Everywhere you can imagine, I have failed to enjoy the appreciation of the United Kingdom. And only when my brother and I left home did my parents start going abroad. <laughs> What's good? The one thing they did do, though, the one thing which was quite wise, was that um, Dad obviously worked out there were two, two boys uh, to try and keep us in any way entertained. We needed to have some kind of like shared sporting kind of activity, outdoor kind of activity. So um, we first of all got into canoeing, and we would, uh, we would do that, family holidays. We would then drive past mountains, glens, streams, rivers, beautiful places with two canoes on the top of the car. And uh, that was the carrot to keep my brother and I quiet for hours and hours and hours. I mean, Scotland is far too big. I just apologise to any Scot... And Wales is also enormous. But then we'd go canoeing. And then we graduated from canoeing to, to windsurfing. Now, you might not believe this. You might think he must have had an enormous windsurfing windsurfer. But the truth is, I was once smaller than I am now. And we went windsurfing. We used to go to Coniston quite a lot, to the Lake District, another opportunity for us to drive around lots of beautiful countryside saying, oh, look, there's a, yeah. When can we windsurf, Dad? 
And we'd go windsurf, and it was white, it was lovely, it was beautiful. We used to go to Coniston, and, uh, and, and we would, you know, set off from the beach across, across Coniston windsurfing. I don't, I don't know if anyone's done windsurfing here. You know, you, you, you head off, don't you? And, uh, and it, it's one of those things where you really have to persist in order to, 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 get the, to get the pleasure out of it, to get the magic out of it. it doesn't, it's not something that comes easily. Because uh, what you soon find out is that the wind takes you where the wind wants to take you, not necessarily where you want to go. So you set off, don't you? You get up onto, the, uh, up onto it. I mean, if you are very, very good as I I'm not. Uh, you can do a water start. You can lie in the water and put your feet on the board. And then the wind literally pulls you up. And then you go, you go skidding across Coniston, Coniston Lake. Uh, I used to have to sort of clamber up onto the board. And then onto one knee. And then, and then stand up. And then you, you pull up. And you pull your weight back. And you pull the sail up. And then you grab the sail. And then you just try and head. And you're heading off. You were going there. That's where you wanted to go, but now you're going that way like this. And in Coniston, I hadn't quite appreciated that Coniston, you, many of you will know, is where the, the, the world um, speed record was, wasn't it? You know? And someone told me that, um, unfortunately, when the, he might still be in the water. So when you went into the water in Coniston, you came out really, really fast. But yeah, and you had to make adjustments. So you wanted to go over there, and sometimes the adjustments were really big adjustments. You would, just show my technical ability here, you would tack. You, you would go to one point, and then you would turn, which I, I perfected the technique. I mean, some people do that by moving the sail around and moving around the board. I found it easier to fall off, <laughs> turn the board in the right direction, jump out really quickly in case Donald Campbell was going to grab my leg and then stand back on the board and kind of head vaguely in the right direction. And this works wonderfully. Other times, you, when you got a bit better, when you got a little bit better, you would, you would adjust the sail in order to just correct where you were absolutely going. I want to I just give that as a picture for what I want to talk about this morning in relation to following Jesus. I, I guess, as I was praying and thinking about this, the Holy Spirit, God's at work in me, God speaking to me in, in, inside of me and as I was reading our passage today, God was saying, Andrew, you know the truth for yourself that there are some parts of your life where you need to do a bit of tacking. You know, you actually need to make some quite big changes of direction in order to get to the place where you need to be, in order to follow Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit said to me, Andrew, there are, there are other bits of your life that are a little bit like um, when you're moving along. And, and of course, you always need the, the wind of the Spirit, don't you? You need God's power to, to move you along. And, and it's, it's noticeable, isn't it, that you can't begin to change direction until you start moving. 
So the Holy Spirit said, Andrew, yeah, there are some places in your life where you need to make some quite big adjustments. And there are other places in your life, Andrew, where you need to, you need to make some smaller adjustments. You need to, you need to just adjust maybe the sail slightly so that the wind of, of me, God, the Holy Spirit in your life is going to, is going to take you further, more powerfully. You maybe just need to adjust your weight slightly as you do have to on a windsurfing board. You, just the way you're standing, your stance needs to just adjust. If you want to, if you want to be obedient to my call. And I felt God saying to me, that's not just for you, Andrew. That's, that's for us. We're... We're on this journey walking with Mark. We're, we're, we're following Jesus, walking with Jesus. And we're using Mark as our, our travel guide. You see, the thing is, we as a church family have a, an enduring why, to use that language. If we just pop it up, Andrew, please. We have a, an enduring mission statement. This, this doesn't change. We, we are a church about making committed followers of, of Jesus. That's why we've got baptisms tonight. That's, that's why we give ourselves as a church. That's why we shape ourselves as a church. That's why we're mission-minded in the way we are. It doesn't suit everyone. It's not right for everyone. It does mean sometimes that people need to go to other places to be fed in particular ways. But it's, it's our why. And it's about changing communities and transforming nations. And they've got S's on both of those words because we believe that God has said to Trinity Cheltenham, your scope, your why, your enduring purpose is for communities and for nations. And then we're asking ourselves about, about our what. And we'll put the next one up. The, the what is the picture. And I know use, people use these words sometimes in different ways, mission and vision and purpose. And I know some of us will immediately be switched off by language of mission and vision. But if you think about why as being the reason that Trinity Cheltenham exists always, and it's just a rewording of the Great Commission in Matthew 28, isn't it? Always should be. The what. This picture of the future that is only just emerging still is something around a sense that the Spirit is saying to us, I'm looking for a church that is passionately positioning itself before me, God, that has that new hunger that, that David was just speaking about with the meeting that we have this week as one expression of it. A church that's uh, willingly partnering, not something that Trinity Cheltenham has been known for before or enough, willingly partnering to serve in Jesus' mission and boldly planting new life where the Spirit leads. That's the, that's the kind of church that we see. And we're asking the Lord to lead us into specifics. Andrew, thank you. We can take that down. We're, we're asking the Spirit to lead us now into the priorities that fit into that positioning, that fit with that partnering and that planting. 
And in, in Mark so far, the journey that we've, we've been on, we've uh, shared in, in the beginning how Mark just gets so quickly into, into telling us that this is about the good news of Jesus Christ. This is all about boldly positioning before Jesus Christ. And we've, uh, we've, over the last few weeks, we've seen how Mark shows how Jesus begins to preach and speak and live out the kingdom. What life looks like when you've got God in charge of your life, when you're living in the right kind of way, when God is in his right place in your life, wherever, whenever that is. And we, we saw in some of the uh, talks that we've had already as we've followed through with Jesus how the kingdom is expressed immediately in, in the words of command that Jesus gives to evil and casts out evil spirit. The, the confrontation between the rightness of God and anything and everything that might be wrong and evil. And we've sung about the power of God this morning. But it, it, the words of authority are, are accompanied by the touch of healing. Jesus always touches when he heals in Mark. And he's moved by compassion. He speaks the word of authority. He touches with healing. And so we've seen Mark's taking us on a journey where we've seen Jesus calming the storm, where he's, he's healed the demon possessed, where he's raised Jairus' daughter from death and he's healed a woman who just dared to touch his cloak, touch Jesus, healed her from, from constant bleeding. And in all of those cases, we see how, how disruption and exclusion is completely overwhelmed by the love of God. And we get to a moment now today where, as we think about obedience, we think about what it means to head towards Jesus, perhaps with some big tacking or with some small adjustments we get to a decisive moment. Look with me if you, if you can. Open the Bible, switch them on. Chapter 6 of Mark. Briefly, we'll go into this today. Because I think I might have already asked the question that needs to be asked. So do you notice a contrast at the beginning of Mark 6? I'm just going to, the slide on the screen just paraphrases the first of two stories Jesus left where he was and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach. This is Mark 6, 6 verse 1. When he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him, that he even does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offence at him. Jesus said to them, only in his hometown, among his relatives and in his own house is a prophet without honour. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. 
There's, there's one encounter that Mark paints for us at the end of this first section of the story of Jesus Christ that he's been telling. And now let's see in more detail the second encounter and you'll see the contrast straight away, I'm sure, as Andrew, thank you, puts the verses up. Calling the twelve to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed with oil many people who were hit ill and healed them. Thank you, Andrew. So the contrast Mark draws for us is between those of no faith, those who will not be obedient, and those of faith who are obedient. Did you notice that when Jesus is back in his hometown, and if you know uh, his first appearance back in Nazareth when he preaches in the synagogue, he gets driven out. We know that story. When he's back in his hometown, the people immediately cast aspersions about his identity. See, when they're saying, we can see his brothers, we can see his sisters, we can, isn't he the carpenter's son? They're questioning Jesus' identity. He's just a man. And it's a sharp contrast that Mark is deliberately drawing between them and the disciples who just in chapter five before, when Jesus calms the storm, have said, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Those people being baptised tonight are saying, Jesus is no man. He's not just a, a great teacher. They're saying Jesus is God. Even the wind and the waves obey him. See, it is possible to follow Jesus as a good teacher. It is possible to kind of set off in a Jesus direction. But if you're going to follow Jesus as God, it's all in. It's all in. And those people in Jesus' hometown were left. I mean, it's the irony of saying Jesus could only perform a few miracles. Important point by Mark being made that our faith is not the only determinant of God's ability and power. That's the significance but faith is related to the ex exercise and the reality of experiencing God's power. They're left, whereas 12 are sent. Margaret Thatcher apparently said, I don't mind how much my ministers talk so long as they do as I say. A test of a leader is anyone following. 
test of a leader is anyone following. C.S. Lewis said, we might think that God wants obedience to a simple set of rules when in fact he wants people of a particular sort. Is it attack? You know, is, is this truth to land in your life? Is this, a, is this a moment when God is saying to you, you actually need to, you need to change direction in quite a significant way? Maybe you have that sense that you've fallen off. You're there in the water. And God is saying today's a day when you can get back up on the, the board. You can lift the sail. And you can head in a significant way back to me. Or is today a day for some fine adjustments? We live in a society, a culture, which is challenging us remorselessly. Trinity Cheltenham is mentioned in the Sunday Times, I gather, today, and not in a great light. I haven't had a chance to read it. I don't want to read it today. I want to read God's word today. But we are in a society, in a culture that is remorselessly challenging us about our obedience to Jesus Christ. And it is possible to kind of be heading in a sort of Jesus direction when actually God's call is to a very specific destination. Just a few things to notice, of course, because I... I don't want to cloud the centrality of the question, I think, with too much this morning. But just a few things to notice as Jesus sends out the 12. Um, you'll probably have spotted them for yourself, won't you? Well, the first is that they're sent. The first is that they are journeying. Are you journeying? Being a follower of Jesus Christ means walking. It means traveling. I mean, I could have sat in the waters of Coniston, you know, flailing around beside my windsurfer saying, I love windsurfing, it's great. I could have told you everything about the theory of windsurfing till the cows come home. But if I hadn't got on the board, stood up, pulled up the sail and started moving, I wouldn't have been windsurfing. Faith, following Jesus is an action is a verb. It's not a noun. It's not a theoretical. And we have to notice the number of times in Scripture, in the Jesus story that Mark tells, that people are healed. People experience God's power in their, in their life as they move. Again, windsurfing is an analogy. Until you begin to move, you can't change direction. You can't begin. Are you moving? Are you following? Do you sense your life as an active journey? Or are you passive? Obedience to Jesus 
involves movement. And sometimes you look behind and there's very little wake. Other times you can see dramatic flow that's happening in your life. The second thing is you notice, of course, that they were sent, and Mark is very deliberate, two by two. The other gospel writers don't say two by two, they say together. Mark is very specific that it's two by two. You can't do this journey on your own. That's the bottom line truth. And why are they sent two by two? Why does it matter? Because partners, others, give strength and encouragement. Because actually in this culture of the day, having a partner with you lent credibility to your witness. You needed two witnesses in a, a court of law to specify something. And of course, thirdly, having a partner gives accountability. Are you doing this together? It's why we're in life groups. It's why we're in accountability relationships. We need each other for encouragement. We need each other for support. We need each other for accountability. Did you notice, hopefully these are flipping up on the screen. I haven't seen if Andrew's been able to keep up with me so far. So they get sent. They go together. They're told to take nothing for the journey, Andrew. Can we stick that one with that third bullet point up on it? Yeah, well done, perfect. They have to be reliant on God. Did you notice they're told not to take, take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals but not an extra, extra tunic. It's, uh, by the way, a deliberate echo, isn't it? Some of us notice with the Exodus story where in Exodus, God's people are told, manna from heaven, bread will be provided each day, only collect what you need for each day. Don't stock up for the journey. Travel light. Are you travelling light? Are you reliant on God? It's a question, isn't it? The list that Mark gives is both luxury items and essential items. They're told, did you notice, not to move from house to house. Verse 10, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. They're to focus on God's mission, not their own personal desires. The culture here is of hospitality. And the danger, Mark, is uh, Jesus was saying to the disciples, is you could be in one house receiving hospitality and then you could move on to the next house looking for more or better hospitality. Friends, it's right that some people leave our church family sometimes. That's right. Because we have to be a particular kind of church with a particular kind of mission doing it in a particular kind of way. And that will not suit everyone. And that is a wonderful blessing that sometimes God uses Trinity Cheltenham in a kind of a gathering kind of way and then a sending out kind of way. But can I urge you to be really cautious about the green is grass, the gr grass is greener syndrome. Can I urge you to be really cautious about the, well, my church is not really meeting my needs. 
Can I be, ask you and urge you to be really cautious and prayerful? I'm not saying it's wrong, but be really prayerful about the, oh, I just feel a bit stuck, and if I went somewhere else then. All of those things can be true. But there's a caution. There's a caution here. Where has God called you to serve? I meet a lot of people who tell me, when I get that house, or if I get that new job, or if I go, or if, or when, and if, then. And I'm just not always sure that's true. And they went with authority to do the things that Jesus did, didn't they? They cast out many demons and they anointed many with oil after healings. I haven't got time to go into the significance of the oil. Mark's the only one who mentions it. But they anoint with oil. They go with the authority of Jesus to do the things that Jesus did. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. That's exactly what Jesus promises. You will receive the power of the Holy Spirit to go and do the things that I did. When Jesus, by the way, says to them, if you're not welcome, verse 11, and if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave as a testimony against them. That, that's a cultural reference to say that you're giving that person over to God. The call to obedience here is not in the success of numbers. It's in the faithfulness of proclaiming God's message. I don't know what size Trinity Cheltenham is called by God to be in the future. I do know we're called to be obedient to his word, regardless of what that size might look like. The mark of success here is the obedience in going, traveling lightly, doing the things that Jesus did in the authority and the name and the power of Jesus. And then leaving the rest to God. And if you were to read on to verse 30, you'd see that they gather back to Jesus after this first mission. And they share with him everything that they have done. And the first bit of our vision is gathering before Jesus, positioning before God. It's always back to God. It's always back to Jesus. It's always telling the story and gathering together in the way that we are this morning. But it is also this partnering together, this partnering and willingly serving and it is also this planting of new life. Eugene Peterson, many of you will know, and we'll put the quote up, Andrew, thank you, describes discipleship as long obedience in the same direction. You only get there with God's wind in the sail. 
You only get there if you, if you set off and allow him to, to bring movement. Then you have to often, you have to tack, you have to go in directions and allow the wind, to, the wind of the spirit to move you in new directions. And that may be a choice for some of us today with this question of obedience. But all the time you're, you're making fine adjustments so that the, the sail of your life is filled more fully with the wind of the Holy Spirit. And there's nothing like it. Nothing like skimming across the surface in the direction that God is calling you in. Someone else has said, it's an anonymous quote, nothing, nothing can be love to God which does not shape itself by obedience. It's a strong quote, isn't it? Nothing can be love to God which is not shaped by obedience. This is a section ending for Mark in his gospel. These two stories told as contrasts the unbelief of some and the belief and the action of the disciples. As we go further with Mark, we're going to be led to follow Jesus' story into further ministry, further sense of who he is, and then the decisive turn towards Jerusalem and to the cross and to the events of the cross, the resurrection and the resurrection, ascension. But this is a kind of section ending from Mark. Where are you? Faith? No faith. Obedience? If you're able to, shall we stand? I, uh, I spend my time, find myself, I've got plenty of time, by the way, before we have to go and collect children. Um, obviously, in conversation with lots of people, it's one of the privileges of ministry, and I do... I do meet people who I think their sense of the Christian journey is a, is a little bit like a tightrope across a space. And that the Christian journey is sort of balancing on the tightrope of the correct path. And if you fall off, God sort of kind of says to you figuratively, I'd, I'd love to help you, but until you get back onto the tightrope, I, I can't. And people have a very sort of narrow view, I, I think, Sometimes of the journey of faith, of obedience, and how God, God works with us. That sort of tightrope thinking. I really genuinely don't believe that's a scriptural picture. Throughout my 54 years of life, God has constantly said to me as I've turned to him, well, okay, Andrew, 
I wouldn't necessarily have started from here, but here is where we are. And I will now take you by the hand and lead you into the best. And with God, it's never plan B. It's never plan B. It's always the new plan A. And every time you fell off that windsurfer, you could get back on and you could catch the wind and you could start again from wherever you were. And that is the love of God for us. So I don't want, please, anyone to, I hope, to hear me saying that God is standing here now like the angry head teacher saying, I'd love to be able to help you, but until you get back onto this little narrow track, which is somewhere over there, I'm just going to have to leave you to it. That's not God. God is the one, if you like, to stretch the picture. God is the one who stands on the board and reaches down into Lake Coniston, pulls you up from the grasp that may be there or not. He pulls you up onto the board. And he actually stands with you and he lifts up the sail because sometimes it's blooming hard work lifting up the sail. And the Holy Spirit comes, he lifts up the sail and the Holy Spirit stands. You just imagine God with you standing and just adjust the sail. And together you catch the wind and you move. So if it helps, why don't you just open your hands? Certainly it might help to close eyes and just say, here I am, God, again. Here I am. You completely know the journey of my life. And whatever it might mean for for every one of us today, whatever it means for me, God, I want to catch more of your wind, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come in in an even fresher way even if we feel like we're already flying across the the surface, would you come, Holy Spirit, in an increased way? Tighten the sail so that we can cope with more of you, more wind. But if if we're feeling vulnerable, we're shaky on the board, come please, God, Holy Spirit, would you lift the sail for us, with us? Fill us, Holy Spirit, with your power. to go in the name of Jesus wherever you send. Oh, to travel lightly, to travel lightly. God, come, help us lose some of the baggage. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill us, fill the sail. Fill the sail. To be obedient to your your call. Lord, if, if you're calling us to new things and new places, we love that. We love that. But let it be you. Let it be your call. Let it be no other voice speaking about destination and calling and place. Let our our reasons be godly reasons. Let that be about you, Jesus.
if any of us need to make some significant changes of direction, come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit now. Give courage and power, your power, God. Thank you, God, that you are saying, I am here for you. And from here, we can go together, we can travel together, and it will not be plan B. It's plan A from this moment. If you trust in me, I will take you. I will take you, says God. Give us a heart for obedience. Come, Holy Spirit.